Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Timothy Gegline is with us today. He is vice president at Focus of the Family, on the family in Washington, D.C. He served in the White House in George W. Bush's uh, two terms, and he has authored a new book entitled Toward a More Perfect Union, The Moral and Cultural Case for Teaching the Great American Story, our topic today. Welcome, Mr. Gegline. It's great to be with you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Let's jump right into the, the, the bad news here. Uh, because we've got good news as well that we'll get to. But what is the particular American crisis that you state at the beginning and that that prompts your book? The American crisis, uh, and it is uh, incontrovertible, uh, is that uh, we are now uh, in a period of constitutional, cultural, and historic illiteracy. You know, uh, you hear people often just in common conversation say, I've never been more worried about the country. Uh, If they have children or grandchildren, they say, I've never been more concerned for my children and grandchildren. They want to do something about it. And then when you probe Mark just a bit deeper and you ask them, what is the basis of, of, uh, of your concern? What is it that you're most concerned about? They invariably uh, and, and almost predictably say uh, uh, it's, uh, it's incivility. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, basic magnanimity. It's all that. But Hmm. when you go just a bit deeper, what you find out, uh, is that the basis of this concern is that the rising generation of young Americans, they find by and large have never read the constitution. Uh, they've never read the declaration of independence in common uh, conversation. Uh, basic biblical references are are uh, completely, uh, you know, uh, misunderstood if they're understood a- at all. Uh, you know, common conversation about things far beyond uh, everyday popular culture immediately become great bits of concern. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to do three things. I wanted to find out what is the empirical basis for the historic, cultural, constitutional illiteracy that I posit. Uh, and I think uh, overwhelmingly, empirically, not someone's opinion. You know, as Pat Moynihan said, everyone's entitled to his own opinions, not everyone's entitled to his own facts. It is a fact uh, that uh, we have a a serious uh, bit of national insomnia. Uh, The the second point is that, you know, uh, very often the same parents and grandparents say it must be bad teaching. You know, it must be bad parenting. I mean, it could be that. It, it well could be that. But I think what, what, what I uh, uncover in the book and spend a lot of time on is the kind of willful, willful misinformation, willful propaganda, willful changing of the American story, uh, erasure, uh, cancel culture, wokistan, 
uh, which didn't begin yesterday or three weeks ago. It actually began willfully uh, in the 1950s. And I spend time introducing people who don't know him, and they should know him. He should be on the tip of every tongue, uh, Howard Zinn. Uh, we all think of the 1619 Project. I spent a lot of time on that, too. This is a very malevolent uh, project, but it, it, it long predates uh, 1619. And then the end of the book, what can we do? What are the practical things that people who are concerned can do? Uh, and I wanted to spend time on that, too. You know, a, a, a terminological question for you, Tim, about, about your title. Why do you say American story instead of American history? I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, in fact, I'm really glad you asked that. You know, uh, I uh, travel about a third of the time uh, for focus on the family, and I find myself on college campuses uh, all of the time. And I raise this question uh, about American history. Uh, and I say this actually great with, with great respect. Um, but uh, when you have a common conversation uh, with, a, with a, a, a young man or a young woman, a student, and you, you, you talk about history, American history, Western civilization history, uh, uh, there is very often a blank stare, uh, mm. as if there is kind of a beginning uh, and a middle and kind of a current chapter. Uh, you know. And I thought to myself, there actually is an American story. You know, uh, there was a, a, a presence in North America uh, long before 1776, which is the actual beginning and birth date of our country. In fact, there was a presence uh, in this part of North America for 150 years. That's a lot of years. Uh, so it's not just that we're talking about history of a particular uh, geographical location. We're talking about one country, about one story uh, that is common uh, to all of us. And I think the kind of balkanization mark uh, that, that is, in one sense, kind of uh, a foundation or a part of a foundation of your question, the kind of balkanization tribalism that we've seen has essentially uh, atomized uh, the American story into a thousand parts. You have your quote-unquote history. I have my history. My neighbor has his. No, there is an American story. There's such a thing as the American Revolution. There is such a thing as the founding. There is such a thing as the pre-Civil War era, the Civil War itself, uh, the Reconstruction period, and on and on it goes. It's one story. It's one nation. And, and I think it's very important that we reintroduce. You know, I, I think you have to go tell a new generation, but we have to we have to reintroduce this concept of America as not just an exceptional country, uh, Mark, but as a as a country that has a story. You know, Tim, if you've got a hundred stories, you don't have any story, right? right. It's just fragments right. into this and that, and no one. Yeah, that there there is no coherence. There 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 is no no, you know, common theme. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Mark, may I pick up on that just for one second? Because th this is uh, I've done uh, endless numbers of interviews, but you're the first person to actually distinguish uh, why I chose the word uh, history. Uh, excuse me, why I chose the word story and not the word uh, history. I'm, I'd like to pick up on that very quickly, if I may, uh, because I, uh, in, in preparing this book, spent an inordinate amount of my time going through empirical data. And actually, I was really stunned, shocked 
uh, by uh, what Americans in general and the rising generation of young Americans did not know. And the reason I say this, Mark, in light of your uh, great question, is that I found myself before writing this book uh, saying, what are we becoming? What road are we on? You know, as if we're moving toward uh, the kind of uh, central narrative of, uh, of toward a more perfect union. But the, but the fact is that we're already there and it's difficult to absorb uh, this question. But when you look at the empirical data, you realize, for instance, that only one in four of public uh, school students in America uh, know that George Washington uh, is our uh, first president. Hmm. Uh, you know, less than 10 percent, less than 10 percent know that the United States Supreme Court has uh, nine members uh, under 30 percent. I mean, this is really, really, uh, you know, can stun you that under 30 percent can accurately say that the president of the United States of America uh, heads the executive branch of our government. Uh, by the way, these are these are the most basic questions that are offered on citizenship tests to legal immigrants who want to become citizens. So, I mean, to your to your very point, this is far beyond uh, the concept of what is history. We are now talking about uh, the, uh, the, the, the confetti nature uh, of the American story. It has really uh, been so uh, atomized and, and really chopped to bits on purpose. Yeah. You go back in, in the book to your days in college at Indiana University. What were your history classes like there? You know, I was very fortunate, and I write about this, uh, that, uh, that I was, uh, as they, I, I was born in the last year of the baby boom. And so uh, in a number of classes of history that I took at Indiana University, I had a number of professors, Mark, who were at the you know, kind of tail end of their careers. And they, uh, and by the way, overwhelmingly, I think almost all of them uh, were, uh, were, were liberals and progressives. But, 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 um, but overwhelmingly, in the Indiana University Department of History, you could still learn American history. If you took a class on the Constitution, if you took a class on uh, World War One, World War Two, the interwar years, uh, of course, the Civil War, uh, I, I think it was possible to still get a, a very good idea, a very good education about what those periods of history were like. But I must say, uh, then and now, no revisionism, most of the uh, uh, young men and women uh, who wanted to become tenured professors uh, or who were just sort of on that first rung, uh, even then it was discernible that it was a very different uh, understanding of American history. And I think now uh, what we are witnessing uh, is really, uh, uh, unfortunately, the apotheosis uh, of what uh, people like Howard Zinn, which is why I devoted an entire chapter to him, uh, it, it's it's really what uh, what what he and what they set out to do. And by the way, this is uh, there's no coincidence uh, in the kind of misinformation that we're talking about. This is precisely what they wanted. Th these were uh, identifiable goals. What, what is uh, what they wanted? Okay, we've we've got the ignorance that we're going to leave them with. Well, and maybe some some false a few false ideas. But there's an attitude that they wanted to instill. What was the ad? What is the attitude that you find prominent 
among the students you talk to? Uh, another great question. It is a mix of cynicism and skepticism. It is that it's bad manners in any polite conversation, much less in the classroom, much less in what you and I and uh, the listeners to this, uh, you know, w w would say is kind of popular history. Um, in in this uh, in this mode, uh, uh, the United States of America must always be wrong. Uh, you 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 must begin a conversation that way. In fact, I'm just back. Uh, from a university tour. I was uh, at, at a, a major university uh, the last two days and then at another major university uh, in the last 10 days. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and I was speaking to large numbers of, of students, uh, uh, faculty administrators. And uh, Mark, almost with pinpoint predictability, when I would bring up the golden narrative of this book, uh, and, and by the way, in each one of the settings, I said, uh, that America is an exceptional country, objectively, an, a, you know, an exceptional, remarkable country. And uh, you, uh, the, the rolling of the eyes, the right. lifting of the eyelids, uh, the, the kind of a sense of a kind of visual exhaustion, uh, you know, what was immediately a, a, a apparent. And, and, I, and I think uh, it, it, this is a kind of predictability that we don't want to be in. Uh, in fact, we want and deserve, in my view, our country deserves to have just the uh, just the opposite. You 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 turn to the a different expression with the summer of 2020. This is a section entitled that that summer, and you actually want to put those that 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 tumult into this bigger picture. Of, of ignorance and, and the American story. What, what are the conclusions that you draw there? Well, I have to tell you, uh, I uh, literally, literally was heart sick. Uh, I live and work in Washington. I have spent a large part of my professional life living in and near uh, central Washington, what we call the federal core. Uh, I worked at the White House for nearly eight years. Uh, and uh, and I had not been down there during the summer of the riots, there being Lafayette Park, the area uh, in and around uh, the White House core. Uh, and uh, I, I, I was prepared to go down and you know take a look at, at what had happened. And Mark, uh, I, uh, I'm not exaggerating. I could write another book specifically, uh, on the four hours that I spent in the federal core of 2020, uh, walking by uh, the Hay Adams Hotel, uh, one of the most historic hotels in the United States. Its history is quite remarkable. Yep. And seeing the vandalization of this uh, remarkable hotel, iron bars uh, over the windows, spray paint uh, on, the, on, the, on the, you know, the, the, the front of this uh, iconic uh, privately owned a remarkable uh, place of history across the street, what we call the Church of the Presidents. Uh, virtually every president uh, has has visited the Church of the Presidents, a, a, an Episcopal parish, uh, from the beginning. Uh, and to see uh, the gigantic banners that had been uh, uh, held, uh, you know, over it, uh, a fire uh, had been lit, uh, arson in the basement, uh, you know, of that parish uh, across the street. Uh, the historic James Madison home, uh, you know, some of the windows were busted out. 
the, the, the Department of Veterans Affairs, less than one block from what I'm describing to you, uh, which had had uh, bricks and rocks thrown through the window. We have to remember that this is the department that bears that incredible plaque uh, of the words of, of Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president, the president who was murdered uh, on a principle, you know, uh, uh, after the Civil War, uh, where, where the portion of his speech where he talks about how we are responsible uh, for the orphans and the widows of the Civil War to see that part of the building vandalized. I was sharing with some friends um, at a book gathering not 10 days ago uh, that the four uh, pillar statues, monuments of Lafayette Park, uh, uh, hold up the beautiful uh, history of those four uh, foreign-born generals who were absolutely foundational uh, to the United States' victory uh, in the American Revolution, double and triple barbed wire, and walking around Lafayette Park which even then was barricaded uh, shut, uh, filled with wire and all kinds of vandalism, uh, bottles, uh, glass, broken glass, etc. And, and seeing the four pillars uh, of, of that park, these are uh, the beautiful statues and monuments of the four foreign-born generals, Mark, who were central uh, to our victory in the revolution, seeing those monuments covered up with with triple barbed uh, wire. And of course, in the middle of the entire park is one of the most famous uh, statues in all of America, uh, the, the, uh, the, the statue of Andrew Jackson uh, on his famous horse, which uh, we witnessed that uh, summer, uh, almost pulled to the ground and smashed, cannonade around it that was smashed during the vandalism. So I think it's very important, uh, you know, when we think of the great American story that we are not adverse, as you say, uh, to delving right in and seeing the whole thing as it is, not as we want to see it through some ideological prism. Uh, you know, history is what we want. Ideology is not what we want. And as the great uh, Paul Johnson, a great historian, a great lover of America, the author of a great book on America said uh, that, 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 that great history is often an antidote to arrogance. And I hmm. saw an enormous amount of attitude and arrogance, uh, you know, that had been foiced upon uh, uh, the, 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 the most, uh, uh, from a civic nature, the most sacred uh, places of our national life. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You know, Tim, my, my great worry is, because this is related to, to your ignorance, point that if you described all of this, that how many young Americans would just kind of say, you know, well, you know, okay. Just kind of blasé about the whole thing. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm very glad you asked that, Mark. Uh, I mentioned to you that I'm just back uh, from a university, a a large university, and uh, I was speaking about uh, the danger uh, of the practical application of cancel culture erasure and wokistan 
Uh, and uh, I asked in the seven classes that I spoke to, I asked for a show of hands of anyone who was uh, born in or from California. A lot of hands went up. <laughs> I would say in each of those classes, a very large number of hands. Hmm. I asked to put their hands and I said, now, uh, if you have ever heard of Father Sarah, would you please raise your hands? Now, Mark, across seven classes um, of students between the grades of freshman and senior in, in the university, I think there were three hands that went up and all of the others gave to me a blank stare. Hmm. And when I told them that Father Sarah was the founder of California, that, it, that he was responsible in large measure for, uh, for, for the missions uh, that even today define uh, the character and nature of California, uh, stand for the very names of some of our uh, greatest and storied uh, cities. These students were really, really uh, shocked. <laughs> I'll say this, shocked. Uh, now I thought to myself, wait a minute, Maybe we're speaking about this or writing about this in the wrong way. Maybe we're being too theoretical. Maybe we have to find ways to, to ask ourselves, what does this mean to you? In other words, how do you feel about being a native of California or growing up there or living there now and not knowing anything about the person who was responsible for the founding of it? Uh, and of course, we've seen erasure and cancel culture now be applied to George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Winston Churchill. Uh, I think our friend Barry Weiss was exactly right. And it's the reason that I quote her at length in my book. Uh, and it's worth my sharing uh, in our conversation, Mark. Yeah. Uh, she wrote that the primary mode of this ideological movement, and of course she's speaking of cancel culture, is not building or renewing or reforming, but tearing down. I mean, to your very question, Mark, uh, she says that persuasion is replaced with punishment, mercy is replaced with vengeance, pluralism with conformity, debate with deplatforming, facts with feelings, ideas with identity. That's it. I think hmm. that that is precisely what I saw and witnessed in Washington. Do, do all those people who live in San Francisco know that their city is named after St. Francis? You wonder, Tim. Mm. You wonder. Uh, uh, my, my friend, they do not. And I know anecdotes are not statistics, but I was also by happenstance uh, near the town of Madison Heights in Virginia uh, very recently. And uh, there is a young woman there uh, who I've gotten to know quite well and uh, had been in touch with her on a particular part of my book regarding James Madison and Thomas Jefferson. And, uh, and I asked her, uh, if she would be kind enough to just from a random standpoint across the last uh, three, four or five weeks since the book was published, if she would just ask people uh, in her town, it's a relatively small town, uh, uh, for whom Madison Heights is named. Uh, and of course, it's named for James Madison, uh, the primary uh, architect uh, of our Constitution. And so about five or six weeks later, I uh, phoned her. And, uh, and then went, was in an area of the Commonwealth of Virginia, met up with her, and she told me that she could only find one person uh, in the town of Madison Heights who knew uh, that, that, that the city or town in which she lives is named for uh, one of the most important Americans who ever lived, 
So uh, we are at a late uh, part of this erasure culture that we're speaking of. You know, Tim, it leaves people quite rootless. You know, they, they don't they don't they have no they have no sense of the past. And and is it mm. is it the progressives? I mean, progressives don't want them to have any sense of the past because, you know, they want to build a new future. You know, this is year year zero. And and so you, you just eliminate the the past. But it, this doesn't make people feel good, does it? It, it, you, you are utterly and absolutely on point. And may I tell you, Mark, that has been the number one reaction and response uh, that people uh, who are reading the book uh, have, have conveyed to me by email, text, calls, letters, cards, etc. It's precisely what you're asking about because they know, they know that the ultimate goal of cancel culture and items such as the 1619 Project is to destroy America's foundations through ignorance and disinformation. And that the goal uh, they know now is to create uh, an entirely different nation that no longer uh, embodies the principles of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. And you don't have to take my word for it or your word for it. Uh, I think you can uh, do what I did, which is I uh, uh, not only did I read the 1619 project, uh, you know, uh, stem to stern. But I did something else. I went back and I read as much as I could read uh, and find from uh, from Nicole Hannah Jones, who is actually the author of the 1619 project. And I spent a lot of time on this. And for those who are listening who don't know, the 1619 project is a uh, is a project that posits that America was founded not in 1776, uh, but rather in 1619, when the first slave ships came to the coastlands of what we now know as the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now, this is a lie. Uh, I mean, let's, let, let's just say it. I mean, it's a complete and total fabrication. But what did I find from the author um, of the 1619 Project? I'd like to quote her, if I may. She says, it's very fleet, by the way. She says, the fight over the 1619 Project, she says, is not about history. It is about memory. I mean, mm. I am so glad. I mean, I am. I mean, I have to say this. I am so pleased uh, that, that 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 she said that, because to get rid of the old memory, a new memory must be created. Yeah. Which is precisely what the far left is doing. Yeah. Well, Tim, you, you go into there, there's a lot a lot here. Uh, uh, something contrary to 1619. The 1776 Commission. Uh, what was that, and what yeah. happened? What happened to it? I think that one of the most important legacies of the Trump-Pence administration uh, was the 1776 Project. It was, it was, and is uh, the perfect, uh, reliable, truthful, fact-based antidote to the 1619 Project. Uh, and uh, Hillsdale College and a number of outstanding American public intellectuals, historians, and scholars put together uh, what I consider to be the, the, the best and most reliable curriculum and history of the United States. Uh, it has a beginning, it has a middle, and it brings us directly to where we are at uh, today. I have recommended the 1776 Project 
to limitless numbers of, of people. And, and Mark, I think it's important that, that you and I discuss very quickly in this regard that the 1619 Project has now been adopted and is being used in thousands of schools nationwide. And yeah. so yeah. it's not that we don't want uh, you know, the proverbial genie out of the bottle. The genie is out of the bottle and it is doing a terrible, uh, irreparable damage to the rising generation of young Americans. To your point, it instills a historic level of cynicism, skepticism, hatred, dislike, um, uh, of a country that is worthy of exactly the opposite. And may I say uh, in this regard, because I think I'm honor bound to say this, as you know from reading the book, uh, in, in my book, Toward a More Perfect Union, I do not and did not want to somehow uh, find a counter spin to things like the 1619 Project. We have to talk about the very, very uh, difficult, inexcusable, uh, wrong, let's just say it, evil, sinful, and pick your, pick, your, pick your word, about particular realities in the United States of America. That doesn't, that does not, it does not take away uh, ultimately from the idea of the exceptional nation. Uh, I, you know, when you study ancient Rome, when you study ancient Greece, when you study, uh, you know, the height of the Italian Renaissance, Elizabethan England, you know, Pick the, the, the objectively, you know, great countries, cultures, civilizations. Ultimately, you have to become uh, comfortable, and it's difficult to do, uh, with the imperfectibility of countries uh, and with human beings. It is, it is just a fact. Uh, but the problem is that erasure culture seeks utopia. It yeah. seeks to, to, to erase the great uh, and then to employ, I might say, a kind of nihilism and moral relativism, uh, which I think uh, is not only inexcusable, but it has done a terrible, terrible damage to our nation. Indeed. There is, there is, as I said, much more in the book there. There are discussions of, of Father Sarah, discussions of Chief Seattle, discussions yes. of le legal theorists and uh, what they are doing with the Constitution and of, of the leftist historian, uh, uh, Howard Zinn. Uh, but for now, the book is Toward a More Perfect Union, The Moral and Cultural Case for Teaching the Great American Story. Tim Gegline, thank you for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mark. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877 332 2930.